Today's reading comes to us from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, on this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight and give you glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1629, an English Puritan lawyer named John Winthrop became president of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And a few months later, led a wave of colonists from England to the New World, founding a number of colonies along the Charles River and Massachusetts Bay. As captain of the Arabella, on which he and his band of colonists sailed, he preached a sermon entitled, A Model of Christian Charity. Its closing paragraph read in part, For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. So that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. Winthrop's sober warning was preceded by an eloquent vision of what their city on the hill would be. Now, the only way to provide for our posterity, he said, is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one man. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, 
patience and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work, our community as members of the same body. I have a very dry cough today, so uh, I have a very dry cough today, so I will promise to turn my mic off when I exercise it. Now, this sermon was not widely distributed until it was published 200 years later. It became part of American folklore another hundred years after that, during and after the Cold War, when it became a staple of presidential speeches, starting with President Kennedy, then President Reagan, and then President Obama. The image of a city on the hill comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the portion we just heard. The Sermon on the Mount is the inaugural teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Just as Winthrop delivered his sermon to a handful of settlers aboard a ship, Jesus delivered his sermon to a handful of early disciples as they were seated on a mountainside in which he too assumed the seating position as the teacher and rabbi who led them. Jesus mentions the city on the hill only one time, but he links it with another image, the light of the world, which has deeper roots in the Old Testament and which Jesus will use in other Gospels as well. You are the light of the world, he says. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give God glory, your Father in heaven. What these images... of both city and light share is that they cannot be hidden. It's the nature of a city to be visible, whether an oasis in the desert, a village on the side of a mountain, or tall buildings arising in a metropolis. Likewise, it is the nature of light to be seen. Even if one were to put a light beneath a bushel basket, beneath a bowl, its rays would seep out into the darkness of the room. In using the image of a city on a hill and connecting it to the light of the world, Jesus conveys that as leaders of the early Christian church, the disciples are not simply a collection of individuals who come together for their own spiritual growth and nourishment and life, but rather they are a community a movement 
whose purpose is to provide light in all the house to all the nations of the world. In addition, the verbs in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount are indicative. They describe the way the people of God are in God's eyes and under God's blessing. You are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. And in the linguistic pattern of our faith, indicative inevitably leads to imperative. Aspiration leads to action. Vision leads to volition. As the final verb that Jesus uses calls and instructs the disciples throughout the ages, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now we know from history that none of our early settlements proved to be perfect cities on a hill. In Massachusetts alone, there were religious controversies, witch trials, and Winthrop himself is said to have kept three slaves. Likewise, we also know that the movement Jesus inaugurated in the Sermon on the Mount provided light that sometimes in the hands of his followers has dimmed before the world has sometimes shown in the wrong places, has sometimes seemed to illumine itself more than the God who called it. The truth is, never in history has the church been immune from the powers and principalities that continue to mar all of human life since the fall. But the charge John Winthrop issued Echoing the charge that Jesus Christ issues, continue to call, uh, continues to call us to a humble greatness today. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the supplies of others' necessities. Y'all know what superfluities are, don't you? It's stuff we don't need. It's stuff we don't need. Superficial stuff we don't need. I love that word, superfluities. Abridge ourselves of our superfluities so that we can meet the needs of others, the necessities of others. And finally, rejoice together, mourn together, labor, and suffer together. And perhaps the most important words that Winthrop spoke in the speech, delight in each other. In the 43 years that I have been a minister, there have been several times churches that I have served have come together to support individuals who were hurting though none as thoroughly as you did for the Reverend Whitley, Whitney Fauntleroy over the last two and a half years. An extraordinary need met with an extraordinary response. And there have been times I have seen congregations 
rally to support and strengthen not just individuals in heroic ways, but rally and support and strengthen their congregational identity and witness for the future. In the Houston congregation I served, a session met all day on a Saturday to affirm its strong theological understanding of God alone being Lord of the conscience. And it unanimously reversed an action that it had taken in a close vote a few weeks earlier that had stepped back from that affirmation. The Iowa church I served came to a hard-won decision, reached over 10 years of deliberation to strengthen their identity as a downtown congregation by investing in a renovation in their facilities and a restoration of the interior of their sanctuary in keeping, in keeping with, its, with its historic design. Three other times of congregational heroism I have experienced with or from you. A decision that people sitting in these pews a year before I arrived in 2004, a lot of you weren't here then, but some of you were, a decision during a time that you were led by an interim pastor, during a time that you did not know who your new leader would be, to proceed with renovating all of these facilities into what we have and use and enjoy today. A decision that many of you sitting in these pews made in 2015 to expand our pastoral staff to four pastors and what you have done the past five months. My friends, you have stayed with this congregation during COVID. You have embraced the widespread use of live streaming worship and providing learning and fellowship and music opportunities online. You have bounced back with joyful determination this fall with an array of in-person trips, retreats, hands-on mission projects, music offerings, youth fellowships, adult formation classes, and tours of Freedom House in Alexandria on the coldest day of the year. <laughs> You've bounced back by reaching out to visitors, by attending worship when you are able and healthy in person, by joining via live stream, when you're traveling. As you shall see at our annual minute meeting in a few minutes, you have invested in an unmiserly way in this staff and the individuals who are serving and leading you through exceeding the goal the session set in our stewardship campaign and enabling this congregation in these inflationary times to provide everyone on the staff compensation appropriate to their responsibilities, their training, and their experience. You have invested in the future in which you believe, in the light shining before others in the city on this hill. What does this investment mean? 
It means we have survived the crisis of COVID. It means that we're going to be here, at least for the foreseeable future, hopefully longer, as we have been in this location at this corner for over 80 years. The light of God we reflect will continue to shine. This was not a given. On Friday, March the 13th, 2020, when our session met for the first time, I think, ever on a conference phone call, very old technology, and voted to close our facilities and move worship to a word I only vaguely knew at the time, live stream. I thought that had something to do with trout fishing. (laughs) 36 hours later, we were online. Five of us conducting worship in this chancel. Two cameras out there. A bearded cameraman, a not bearded cameraman. A Sunday has never passed in Westminster's history without worship being held here. We always have worship on Sunday, and we have indeed survived. Second, the investment we made means that we can continue to attract people who understand, relate, and embrace the Christian faith in the ways that we know best to express it. Through traditional Presbyterian worship and music, through a high level of learning and being spiritually formed, through a rich life together, and through serving God as we serve others. The doors of this church are open. We are here for all to come. We will strengthen and nurture their faith, and they will strengthen and nurture ours. Our light still shines. Our city remains on this modest hill. And third, we will continue to do what we do with the grace, humor, and joy that have always marked our life together. If you have not seen the video of last week's bell choir anthem, (laughs) I urge you to view it online. Now, we normally have about 75, maybe 100 people who watch our services during the week after they happen. This week, it's at (laughs) 11,000. Now, to recap, for those of you who were traveling to Mars last week, (laughs) during the handbell anthem, a strap on one of the large handbells broke as Jason Zeibel rang it. And the bell came crashing down into the center of the handbell choir and cracked in several places. Undeterred, the handbell choir continued with its piece. While Jason retrieved the broken bell and reached for another. <laughs> then in the offertory prayer that, poly- that followed, our 
sober, <laughs> serious, pastoral care pastor offered a Protestant version of last rites <laughs> for the deceased bell, even referring to it by its formal name and number. What struck me are two aspects of Westminster that this incident reveals. We don't stop worship for any reason. The bells kept ringing. The band played on. And perhaps most of all, we are a congregation which laughs together at ourselves with one another. As John Winthrop said, we delight in each other. May it always be so. Amen.